It's Wednesday, May the 20th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, WHO agrees to COVID-19 inquiry and Macron loses majority. First, the world in brief. Member states of the World Health Organization unanimously agreed to set up an independent inquiry into the COVID-19 pandemic. The impartial, independent and comprehensive evaluation will look at the WHO's own role in the crisis. America in particular has been critical of the intergovernmental organization. Its boss, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said the inquiry would start at the earliest opportunity. A group of lawmakers broke away from Emmanuel Macron's La République en Marche party, depriving it of an absolute majority in the National Assembly. The defectors, who have formed a group pushing for a focus on social justice and the environment, leave the president's party with 288 of 577 seats. To pass legislation, Mr Macron will have to lean more heavily on Modem, a smaller centrist party. Johnson & Johnson, a pharmaceutical giant, stopped selling talcum powder in America and Canada. It faces at least 16,000 lawsuits over claims that its talc, sold for decades, contained traces of asbestos capable of causing cancer. J&J denies that steadfastly and is appealing damages. But as demand has fallen, it says the product is no longer worth making. Global carbon dioxide emissions in April fell by 17% compared with 12 months earlier, according to a study published in Nature Climate Change. Emptier roads accounted for much of the reduction. At the height of their lockdowns, many countries' emissions fell by 26% or more. The researchers predict most of the deficit will have evaporated by year-end once economies reopen. Walmart, the world's largest supermarket chain, reported a surge in sales in the three months to the end of April. Customers have been doing fewer but bigger shops during the pandemic. Same store's sales rose by 10% year-on-year during the quarter, and online sales shot up by 74%. The company has hired over 200,000 new staff to cope with increased demand. New data revealed the damage inflicted by Britain's lockdown unemployment. The number of people claiming unemployment benefits rose by 69% to 2.1 million in April, the largest monthly rise since records began in 1971. Separate figures show that the number of paid employees in Britain fell by nearly 460,000, a 1.6% decrease between March and April. And the University of Cambridge is scrapping face-to-face lectures entirely for the coming academic year, as it seeks to enforce social distancing. Instead, they will continue to be offered online. Some smaller classes may be allowed. Students in universities around the world have demanded they be reimbursed some of their fees, given the lack of access to campus. And now, here's today's agenda. Lock-in extended. No travel between America, Canada and Mexico. Ditch any plans to cross an American land border soon. Today, the suspension of US-Canada travel was due to end. Instead, restrictions to stop the spread of coronavirus are likely to remain at least until June 21st and could be extended again. A deal between the two countries struck in March, then extended in mid-April, allows trade but prevents non-essential crossings, usually some 200,000 people a day. Canada is the warrior of opening up. It has recorded 6,000 deaths from the virus, compared with America's toll of over 90,000. It fears important infections from badly hit states such as New York and Michigan. America's far more heavily travelled southern border with Mexico, over which 950,000 people a day crossed pre-pandemic, will also stay closed to travellers, though trade will go on. 
America has also suspended immigration laws, so migrants who cross the border illegally or applicants for asylum can be expelled immediately. Got beef? The Sino-Australian trade dispute. In theory, Chinese restrictions on imports of Australian meat and barley could represent the international trade system working as it should. Governments are allowed to apply tariffs to defend against imports that are subsidised and sold below cost price. The tariffs on Australian barley, at 80%, are supposed to do just that. China is also allowed to suspend beef imports on the grounds of legitimate health and labelling requirements, as it claimed it was doing last week. In reality, it seems that what should be technocratic exercises amount to Chinese retaliation against Australian criticism of how it handled the COVID-19 pandemic. So far, this does not seem likely to explode into an all-out trade war. The Australians have said that they will not retaliate, and currently the affected products represent just 0.4% of total Australian merchandise exports. Still, the political environment is tense enough that it is not hard to see how the scuffle could escalate. When it rains, it pours. Super Cyclone Umfan When Bangladesh and India thought that things could not get any worse with the COVID-19 pandemic, along comes a super cyclone. Amfam is set to make landfall today near the Sundarbans, a mangrove forest straddling India and Bangladesh, with wind speeds of 185 kilometers per hour. It is the first such in the current cyclone season in the Bay of Bengal and the most powerful in more than a decade. Forecasters predict a tidal wave of at least 3 metres. Millions of people have been evacuated. Bangladesh will be reminded that housing Rohingya refugees on an island in the bay is not fair, but overall the death toll is unlikely to be catastrophic. In 1970, a cyclone killed up to 500,000 people in Bangladesh. Since then, cyclone shelters and a robust early warning system have drastically reduced deaths. Cyclone Bulbul, the most recent storm, hit last November and killed just 24 people in Bangladesh and India. On the defensive, Deutsche Bank's shareholder meeting. Against a backdrop of tough times for European banks, Deutsche Bank, one of the continent's most troubled, is holding its annual general meeting today. Christian Zuring, the chief executive, and James von Moltke, the finance director, will probably greenwash proceedings by pledging to approximately double Deutsche's environmental investments to 200 billion euros, 215 billion dollars by 2025, and by committing the bank to hitting sustainability targets. But that is unlikely to distract from other bad news, such as losses on loans due to the COVID-19 pandemic, or the fact that its shares trade at just 0.2 of their book value, compared with an average of 0.4 for European banks. Mr. Zewing hopes to fend off angry shareholders by waiving one month of his base salary, and by pushing on with Mr. Malt's campaign to leave in margins by cutting up to 18,000 jobs. Second time lucky. Taiwan's president. Tsai Ing-wen begins her second four-year term today as president of Taiwan. Early last year, many observers doubted whether she would remain in power through 2020. But unrest in Hong Kong appeared to strengthen support for her China-skeptical policies. In her re-inauguration speech, she vowed to prevent the imposition of any Hong Kong-style, one-country-two-systems regime on the island. Her government's success in preventing the spread of COVID-19 has also boosted her ratings. Miss Tai's re-inauguration could have been overshadowed by a bruising defeat for Taiwan at this week's meeting of the World Health Assembly. But the island decided to postpone its contentious bid for observer status in the intergovernmental organisation, citing a need to focus on the pandemic. 
Despite support for Taiwan's bid in the West, most of the Assembly's members would not have dared to cross China. America, however, offered Miss Tai congratulations on her re-election, a move unlikely to calm great power relations. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Stuart Mill, who was born on this day in 1806. It is not because men's desires are strong that they act ill. It is because their consciences are weak. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.